Eric, how are you doing this week? I am doing fantastic. I am excited every single time we come to a week where a new Marvel Studios movie is released. And that's a lot. That's it's like three times a year now, which uh, it's a lot of time to be happy. But that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I like being happy. So how are you? I am good. Yeah. I We both have now seen Captain Marvel. We have. This is true. And that was an experience I wasn't quite expecting. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> there were definitely some things that happened in there that were surprises and twists for me. Absolutely. And, you know, we'll get into it later and see if I was surprised by the same things you were. For sure. Um, yeah. But so we're obviously we're going to do like a brief non-spoiler uh, Captain Marvel review. Just so if you don't want any spoilers, you can listen to our general thoughts on it. And then we'll get into full spoilers and in-depth conversation about what we saw. Um, But first, instead of news, this time we've got another sort of non-segment segment because Eric was able to see Shazam. I was. Already. And he can actually talk a little bit, just a tiny little bit about it. Because, so, yeah, like the, the social media, rea- the reaction embargo has lifted, yeah. not the review embargo. So I can't go like super in depth, but I can at the very least like give you my thoughts. Yeah. So what we're going to do is another tiny little time segment <laughs> that I like to call Two Minutes with Captain Sparkle Fingers. Nice. <laughs> so... Producer Gabe, if you want to go ahead, and he's going to start a timer for us, and you can do that now. Eric, what did you think? This, uh, it is delightful. Uh, it is very, it, I like, despite, uh, like, I, I think in recent weeks we've been talking a lot about uh, origin stories, uh, just because obviously Captain Marvel is an origin story, and we've seen yeah. a lot of origin stories these days. So we have to really do something very different uh, in order to to make yourself stand out. And I will say that Shazam structurally is very similar to every, uh, pretty much every origin story that we're familiar with. But it's frankly just so much fun and the character work is just so great that you really just are just entranced by it and you kind of of look past that. I think the reason why uh, the, 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 the trailers that we've seen have been a bit limited in terms of uh, what we've seen, uh, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, uh, is because like you really are getting at the heart of it when you are seeing like Shazam learn his powers and how it all works and what it's okay. like. But like there is a lot out there also to offer, and uh, it's like it's got some really cool stuff going on and like some awesome awesome surprises. Okay, and you like the performances? Absolutely, and like like Zach Levi, like it's funny that he like he has been part of comic book universes for a while now because he yeah. obviously was in uh, he played one of the Warriors three in uh, in the in Thor. two Thor sequels, yeah. uh, not the first Thor, just the Thor sequels. So like, but he's mm-hmm. been around it. But like, this is truly the hero that he was born to play. Like, he is so just energetic and charismatic, and just so like fascinated and like has so much fun in this part that uh yeah it's absolutely wonderful and frankly it's just like obviously we are at a point where we're saying like oh like uh, the dceu is a bit it's gonna be a bit like not structured right now it's gonna kind of exist on the with these little pieces less interconnected yeah and uh but the thing is like i'm already crazy excited to see uh zachary levi as shazam interacting with the rest of the justice league and so yeah, no, and like we'll see when it happens, but yeah, exactly. Boom, and out of time. Boom, okay. <laughs> Perfect. You managed to, I actually had to ask you a question. You yeah, were ready yeah, to yeah, stop yeah. like a minute in. <laughs> How does that work? I don't know. That's a weird one. 
But uh, trust me, like uh, as we get more into this movie and as we get closer, uh, we'll be able to talk a lot more about it because it does have some surprises. Yeah. Sure. And speaking of Shazam, there mm-hmm. has finally been a second official trailer uh, that came out just a few days ago. And we get do get a much better look at that trial and error you were talking about of him learning his powers. Um, we also get a lot more with Savannah. And I think mm-hmm. that was a, a I really liked this look at it. And honestly, I would be fine if we didn't get another trailer. I don't expect that we would. It's, I mean, it is weird that this is the first trailer. Like, there was that little featurette that came out, like, maybe yeah. a month ago. But, yeah, since Comic-Con. But the first trailer, the first yeah, one. the first trailer came out last summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and, I like, I mean, like I said, though, I like... It is interesting because we also, we, as David Sandberg has talked about on Twitter a lot and in interviews, we live in an era where trailers spoil everything and uh, they're doing a good job not doing that in this case. Yeah. Like, I, I will say, I mean, again, I, I've seen the film. I can tell you that there is no, like, Aquaman stepping out of the waterfall in his full, like, royal garb with the trident moment. Like, that that that's not in the trailers. You're not, like, mm-hmm. missing or anything. It's not, like revealing what happens in the third act there are like some legitimate surprises that are still to be had and like yeah if this is the extent of the footage that we get and it got, it's gonna just stay even all like the tv spots that come out from now uh just kind of mo- mostly focus on that freddy uh shazam relationship as they yeah. fig- train and figure stuff out fine that's fine mm-hmm. all right we have to talk about bright burn again also, because yeah. there was another there was another bright burn trailer <laughs> and i tell you what I'm 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 so scared of this movie. Like I'll see it. <laughs> yeah. But I am scared of this thing. Okay, again, this is the James Gunn produced, I believe. Mm-hmm. Kind of like reverse Superman tale, um where there's a kid who's clearly some kind of alien lands on Earth, gets adopted by a human family, um but he does not have positive tendencies at all. <laughs> and in this trailer it looks like he's you know, he's, I think the kid seems like he's maybe about 12 or so. And -hmm. it seems like he's been trying to be good and be a decent person, but he's been getting bullied and that doesn't usually lead to very positive places. And he just gets tired of it, I think. And then, and fully realizes (laughs) what he can do and that basically nothing seems to stop him. So he takes advantage of it with, which, you know, a lot of people would. Yeah, and uh, scary, scary results. Uh, hopefully, yeah. most of us wouldn't necessarily push it that far, but yeah, uh, not that far. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I, 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 there was two things that in particular stood out to me in this trailer. Uh, one was uh, the bit with the uh, breaking of the uh, light on the ceiling. Oh yeah, yeah, that and the lady pulling the... the glass out of her eye. Yeah. Uh, so, Who does like... that? Who is pulling glass out of their <laughs> eye? I'm going straight to the ER. Is right, what I'm exactly. doing. Yeah, you don't. I, I you don't mess around. And frankly, like that's blindness is one of my biggest fears. Like, I mean, part of that is also like I really enjoy watching movies, and mm-hmm. so like ruining that. No, thank you. Um, yeah. But I mean, but like, so yeah, like that. Really, like that is the kind of horror that's like that really kind of puts me on edge. Uh and so I like the idea that the movie is kind of is going there with 
that in, in terms of uh, just kind of mm-hmm. its horror elements. But also just what stood out to me, uh, and it's particularly interesting from just a drama perspective, is the role that Elizabeth Banks is playing as the mother of this child, because it seems like she's doing what any mother would do and trying to say, and saying like, this is my child. I know the world is a horrible, horrible place and I want to protect him from it. Uh, yeah. However, uh, there's a line there and yeah. like there's a and you're point starting where- to, you're starting to cross it, but I feel like there's still some good in you because I've tried to raise you so that you're good. Uh-huh. So what's going yep. on? <laughs> <laughs> and and that and that's a cool dynamic. And I, I, Elizabeth yeah. Banks is an incredibly talented actress. I mean, she, and she has a uh, personal history with James Gunn, uh, yeah. having worked on Slither together. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, like that. And like, it does seem like she eventually figures it out, so to speak. Uh, just the way right. that this trailer unfolds. But uh, yeah, no, I thought it was uh, really. I, I, I'm excited for this movie. Seriously. Yeah, I'm excited to basically never sleep again after I see it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. A a bit of Arrowverse news. Some big news. Um, Arrow's next season, which is season eight, will be its last. Yeah. No more Arrow after the eighth season. And it will be a seriously truncated season. Only 10 episodes. Wow. I mean, it's almost like networks can find are finally realizing that maybe shorter seasons are a good idea. But yeah, no. So (laughs) I don't know how they came to the decision to do uh, if it's like just strictly storyline directed like they already have kind of a plan for what they want to do in the eighth season Mm -hmm. or if the cw was saying let's cut this down because we've got something else we kind of want to get in there so but i think it's a good idea i mean i i think i mean frankly i mean we've discussed this on the show arrow to go for eight seasons eight seasons well i mean like i mean it shouldn't have gone past the fourth season which was just (laughs) which is the season of damian dark and just such an utterly unbelievable disaster that i honestly say is worse than iron fist and i said i I swear i swear eric you said damian dark and i got a little a tiny little pressure headache (laughs) like just right above my left eyeball No, I mean, and, uh, like I mean, it is. You you make an interesting point about uh, like the truncated last season because it's not yeah. like like Gotham is kind of doing a similar thing where it its last season is also truncated, but it has an endgame. Like because it's a kind of a prequel series in a way, right. you know, kind of where it's going, so it has something that it's building up to. Uh, that's not really the case with Arrow. At least like it wasn't the la- when I kind of last tuned in. Uh, and frankly, I'm curious just how. I mean, it's called the Arrowverse. I'm curious just kind of how. The whole thing continues without him. Like if Stephen Amell yeah. may still appear in the occasional episode of Flash or if they're just going to kill him off. And like, I don't know. If it's, they it's... will now bring Black Lightning into the fold. I don't know if that's yeah. been like renewed for another season or not yet. But something they've been holding off on is making that an official part of the Arrowverse, even though it is mm-hmm. a DC story. So, yeah, change things up. Why not? Yeah. And like, uh, but. 10 episodes sounds way better than 24 episodes. In yeah. Every, like network television just needs to get with the program here. Uh, like it's honestly arrow could last so much longer, frankly. Like if you're not putting the money that you would put towards these double sized seasons, th- like you could theoretically run it for like 16 seasons. Like it's, uh, it's weird how it ultimately all works, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it's just tradition. Yeah. It's what it is. So, all right. More DC news, but some DCEU news. Um, We know now why uh, the Aquaman spinoff will be about the trench. Um, Producer Peter Safran, who, you know, produced Aquaman, said that they basically loved the idea of a trench movie since the early concept art was done for those creatures. And that seeing audiences respond 
to that sequence in the movie, which was terrifying, by the way. Yep. <laughs> Just kind of strengthened that idea for them. Plus, it helped them figure out what the movie would be about just in general. But more importantly, he also said that the trench movie is going to come out. And this is a direct quote significantly before Aquaman two. Um, right now, Aquaman two has a release date set for December 16th, 2022. Do you think it's a good idea to get that trench movie out there first? Well, it's interesting because I, I think when we talked about uh, this movie being announced, I likened it to Annabelle and the conjuring universe, which notably it should like it's, Annabelle was a much smaller film. Uh, it didn't like it like obviously had connections to the conjuring. However, it was a much smaller scale thing that was able to be put together fairly quickly. And yeah. it kind of sounds like that. I mean, and if that is the plan with the trench, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that I mean, I, I, I think that it could could theoretically come together fairly qu- fast, if not also just because like they know what the Trent tre- creatures look like. They have them visually rendered like that. Yeah. That work is already kind of done. Obviously, you could advance it further and you're going to have to. But I mean, if really the idea behind this whole project is a boat out in the middle of the ocean that gets swarmed by trench creatures that like they have to and they have to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ooh, I don't What if it's can, a cruise ship just sure. like filled and filled <laughs> with people who can be eaten and torn apart? Absolutely. I'm for it. I like I, I, I'm not going to sleep tonight, like, guys. Not going to sleep at all. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean like I, I cuz the I, like I mean really kind of what I think about is in like uh and I, I think I've talked about this before. I mean, like when, when I talked to Kevin Feige last uh, year during Ant-Man and the Wasp, one thing that uh, I brought up was the idea of doing like are Marvel Studio movies always going to be big action blockbusters like is or are you going to ever like change it up and tell a small scale like mm-hmm. talky drama or whatever, whatever. And he said. No, he said that like really the like the vision for every future Marvel Studios film is to make something on a blockbuster large scale. And the DCEU, like they've been trying to find some way to differentiate from the Marvel Cinematic Universe for as long as it's existed. And frankly, and like obviously jumpstarting in the middle of the franchise didn't really work. And they're kind of are reverting back to what feels like a Marvel phase one plan. But this is an amazing way to do something different by creating films that are part of the franchise, part of this world, part of the same continuity, but are completely different than any story that you would see featuring Aquaman, for example. And like, I yeah. just, yeah, I, I really like that philosophy and I think it could mean really cool things for the franchise going forward. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see if we get any additional like spinoffs from these uh, weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> underwater hey, tell, worlds. Tell me. You, tell me you wouldn't watch like an Amazon movie uh, set entirely in Themyscira, like after. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, ben Affleck. Poor Ben Affleck. Um, yeah. He was asked recently <laughs> what That's he was funny. planning to do, what he wanted to do. With Batman, because, you know, originally he was going to direct it and help write the script and as long as well as starring in it. Um, and But here's what he, he said. He had, you know, like a very honest and open response. Um, that was part of the problem. We worked on the script. I was trying to figure out how to crack it and I was never happy enough with it where I thought it was worth going out and making it because I just didn't want to do a version that I wasn't really excited by. So I still don't know. <laughs> Which, you know, it makes perfect sense that he would pull back if that was the issue. But it's interesting to me that this was basically the same problem that Joss Whedon had with Batgirl. Mm -hmm. 
he couldn't figure out what the story should be. Um, okay. Do you think that trying to work on these movies in the midst of the DCU still trying to be interconnected and leading toward, you know, possibly a second justice league movie and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that hampered like their creativity and where they could go when they were working on these? I mean, I'm not, I, it's possible. I, I don't I like, it's, I mean, that was when Ben Affleck started working on that project along with Jeff Johns, like the DCEU yeah. seemed like it was at the same time developing Flash and uh, Cyborg right. and Justice League 2 and all this kind of stuff. So that is entirely possible. What I, I, I what I think and may more be, and this is, again, this is entirely speculation, but I feel like, I mean, Ben Affleck, like, we all saw the meme, like, he was not happy with the critical reception for Batman v Superman. He was not happy with, with the reaction to Suicide Squad. He was not happy with the reaction to Justice League. And... When you are, and, and this is a guy who prior to, and like prior to signing on to this project was one, uh, one best picture uh, mm-hmm. for Argo. Like, he, yeah, he and, was definitely in the midst of a career renaissance uh-huh. and like, when he and, signed on for this. And so when, when you have that huge success followed by like these really big disappointments, mm-hmm. uh, it's quite possible that like he just like, it's and kind of what he was saying is that like, it just whatever he was working on, he was trying to make it extra good and make sure that it was as good as he can possibly make it because yeah. he is in a position where he really wants to like make up for these disappointing things before it. And like, so like anything that he was trying to come up with just didn't feel like it was enough, enough. to do that. Yeah. And, uh, that's too bad uh, because he is a very talented filmmaker, as has been proven many, many times. Uh, I mean, and we'll see, obviously we'll see what Matt Reeves end up doing with the project, who he, whoever he winds up uh, casting mm-hmm. as uh, as in, as his new Bruce Wayne. But, yeah, it's uh, definitely a kind of bummer situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OK. Um, now, Sean Gunn has been doing to, you know, take a little bit of a turn here, even though we're still talking about DC. Sean Gunn has been doing a bit of talking lately, and um, he said he will be perfectly eager to join his brother's Suicide Squad movie. Um, mm-hmm. He said he likes the idea just from an acting standpoint, but also said, you know, he's been working with his brother on a lot of things since they were kids. And if his brother asks him, he'll just do it, (laughs) which is perfect. That's the perfect answer. I I like my brother. I like working with him. I'll do whatever he asks me to do. For sure. And like, and I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if uh, he actually, if if Sean Gunn is given some, like at least a very, very tiny role. They do work Uh, together a lot. They have like I mean it's obviously the Guardians of the Galaxy he not he actually has two roles he plays Craglin yeah. and he plays the he does the performance capture work for Rocket Raccoon, uh but also I mean he but like he. I mean, he's been appearing like he has a significant role. He, well, not a significant role, but actually, I mean, he has a, a basic supporting role uh, in Super. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember where he is in Slither, but I'm fairly certain he's in there. But like, I mean, James Gunn does consistently work with the same people. I mean, Michael Rooker is another one uh, who I would not be surprised in the slightest if tomorrow it was revealed that uh, like Michael Rooker is going to be playing King Shark in, Suic- in the Suicide Squad. Like that, I yeah. entirely think that's on the table. Um, so, you know, we'll see how it goes. And, but yeah, like, well, uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I fully expect Sean Gunn to be involved in some capacity. In some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Suicide Squad, guys, mea culpa. 
There's something kind of major we forgot <laughs> to mention last <laughs> week. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, Will Smith is will, will no longer be involved with Suicide Squad. He's not playing Deadshot anymore. They were trying to work out scheduling to get him into Suicide Squad 2. But apparently he's got other things he's working on and they just couldn't work it out. So they, you know, he and Warner Brothers parted amicably. It's sad. So there's no hard feelings on either side. But now what we can talk about is the information that was released this week, which is that Idris Elba is going to be replacing him as Deadshot. Yeah. I think this is exciting mostly because Heimdall, poor Heimdall, never got to do much in the MCU. But, you know, stare with his weird, you know, gold eyes and, you know, plus the character is dead now and probably not going to, you know, come back. Right. Um, And Idris Elba is just awesome in general. Do you like this casting? Oh, I think it's fantastic. And I'm always in favor of Idris Elba getting more work. And it's also worth mentioning that he also was in Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. So his like his credits even within uh, the comic book world even go deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Idris Elba is great in everything that he does. So I have every expectation that he'll be just as great in this. Um, I will say I am like s- sincerely surprised by this. I mean, I guess... Deadshot I too, I think. must yeah. Deadshot must have some kind of massive role in whatever James Gunn has planned for this project. And to his credit, like Deadshot is a core member of this group and it makes yeah. a lot of sense that that would happen. But like I when they when I when the news came out last week that Will Smith was not going to be in the Suicide Squad, I just thought to myself, "Oh, well that's not a big deal. They'll just shelve his character. They'll f- figure out something else to do with him in the future. Will Smith can go on and do whatever he wants to do, and that's yeah. fine. They'll just like there's billion other DC characters yeah, for them as, to and as recently as a few months ago Will Smith was talking about his hopes for doing a Deadshot solo movie. So Absolutely. he he was into playing the character. And uh, and like I mean, I also liked I liked his. I, I liked him shot. as. Like, I shot, liked yeah. his Floyd Lawton, and so, uh, yeah. So this came as a big surprise. Like I really thought that they would just. This was going to be a situation where it's like, oh, they'll just write around it, but they didn't. They just kind of uh, made took took it on uh, head on, and it does sound like the only returning members are going to basically be Deadshot, who's now obviously going to be played by Idris Elba, uh, mm-hmm. Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robbie, who, yeah, again, as we discussed in previous weeks uh i'm not gonna get into it but <laughs> why um and uh and uh and, and and but like we and that's it that sounds like everyone else is basically going to be brand new uh and include like it does say, i think the uh hollywood reporter says that like rick flag played by joel kinnaman is definitely not coming back despite the fact that he is another like key player but then mm-hmm. again was also just a total snooze in uh yeah it just did some stupid film, stuff so. and yeah. yeah. So I mean I like I mean like right now it is it, it is weird that like this whole, this project does seem kind of like a it, it's we have no real clue of how it's mm-hmm. coming together and yeah, we'll see how it develops, but Yeah. All right. Now Sean Gunn again doing a lot of talking this week. <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna move on to uh some Marvel news now. Um he says that well, he at least is determined to make Guardians Volume 3, even without his brother. And he seems to think that everybody who's a part of that Guardians team um, on camera and off is also committed to making that movie. Here's what he said. I don't know exactly how that's all going to work, 
but I feel like we are going to make the third movie. I'm excited to make it. I think it's a disservice to the fans if we didn't make it. And I know the people who worked on the Guardians movies are really a family. And we're going to come together and make the best movie we can, regardless of who's in charge. I, you know, that sounds beautiful. I, it's not going to be that easy. <laughs> I just know no, it. it's not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not uh, like that. That last bit right there, like that, regardless of who's in charge. That may be 100% true, but at the same time, still finding that person is, mm-hmm. that's hard. And also, that, once that, they find that person, you know, you, you want to make the best movie. You'll They will want to make the best movie possible once they all get in there. But mm-hmm. there's going to be some hard feelings. Exactly. And like, I mean, like Dave Bautista, like, as we've talked about many times, like yeah. he's not been shy at all about his opinions in this matter. And like has some hard feelings. I mean, he did say that like he would even walk away from the project if they didn't use James Gunn's script. Fortunately, that's not something uh, that's happening because Kevin Feige has confirmed that. Uh, However, uh, but yeah, again, like, I mean, we've talked about in past weeks, like you've had, you have like directors like Edgar Wright and Chris Miller and Taika Waititi coming out and saying like, no, I don't want to direct this movie. Get James Gunn to direct this movie. And I like, I don't, I, I honestly, I can't name a director out this there. This is going to be an uphill battle yeah. probably yeah. for a couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. So, mm. Mm. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, presumably, like, we'll, we'll have a better picture of all of this past, like, Spider-Man Far From Home when Phase 4 is announced. And presumably at that point, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will get an official release date, which will not be, obviously, May 2020. And from there, uh, I guess they'll just have to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. Uh, speaking of Guardians... Moving on to some more Sean Gunn information. Um, he, he obviously, as you said earlier, he does the motion capture work for Rocket Raccoon, who is, as we've seen in the trailers, is in Avengers Endgame. And he has now teased that uh, the character will meet a lot of in- interesting characters that he hasn't met before. Uh, and we see him in the trailer with, you know, the main group of living Avengers Yep. Who else do you think this could mean? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's I, I, I guess uh, I mean, certainly on the table has to be Tony Stark, who uh, he has not gotten to meet yet. That's true. Because uh, uh, and presumably he's going to be coming back down uh, from Earth. Uh, Captain Marvel is another good example, uh, mm-hmm. which we will get into. But obviously, Brie Larson is going to be meeting that entire ensemble uh, in the uh, in in games. So that's going to be a big one. And uh, they have an interesting back and forth in the comics. So it'll be cool to see that hit the big screen. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like it's it's cool because like obviously Nebula is also out there, but Rocket is really the core representative member of the Guardians of the Galaxy because On he Earth, is the yeah. only one left. So it's going to be fun to see how uh, he because like that's the other thing that's weird. about Like because the Guardians of the Galaxy, they got used to Rocket like Rocket. Rocket right. is, a, a, is a cerbic asshole, but mm-hmm. they learned he's, to love he's him. an acquired taste. Exactly. And so like <laughs> that may not be like so e- that may not yeah. be a pill to swallow. It's so easy to swallow in Avengers Endgame. And it's going to be funny to like see people who just like aren't really ready to take any of Rocket's crap. Like, they're mm-hmm. just not. So, yeah. And I'm plus, just in that. general, we don't know what kind of mood the character's going to be in. Is he going to be so shocked by what happened, like everybody else is, that he actually, you know, just naturally sort of tones down and is just ready to get to work and help? Uh-huh. 
Or is he going to be even worse? <laughs> I think he'll be even worse because he's a guy. <laughs> okay. Like, because he's a guy. Because the thing is, like, yeah. he, his whole thing, especially in Guardians of the Galaxy Two, is that like when people fall, like when he starts to get close to somebody, he gets terrified that they're going to push him away, so he pushes them away first. And so he's very resilient, resistant to like opening his heart and letting people in. He did that, and now everybody that he ever really cared about is dead. They turned to dust, and. Yeah. That sucks. Like, like, and he, like, I don't think he's gonna be exactly open to like taking the Avengers into his heart immediately after that. So, I, in fact, I expect Rocket to be far worse than he uh, has ever been. Honestly, it's uh, especially without Groot. Like, he doesn't even have yeah. Groot by his side in this mm-hmm. circumstance. Not so. even little baby dancing Groot. Nope. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Okay. We'll see what happens. I'm sure it's going to be, you know interesting beyond what we can imagine um all right some some marvel slash sony news we have to talk about venom 2 Mm -hmm. it looks like the movie's going to be getting a new director uh ruben fleischer who directed the first movie um it looks like he won't be involved because he's too just too busy with other projects uh to step away and deal with venom and clown wig carnage which is fine (laughs) with me (laughs) go do other stuff sure yeah, he's doing uh, Zombieland two now, so I mean that's fine. Like I'm, I'm, ex- I'm still, ex- I'm very excited to see that. So yeah, yeah what, okay. I, I just, I'm so, still so baffled by Venom. I can't even imagine like tasking another director with the sequel. Is there anybody you can see doing it? Uh, actually, <laughs> Maybe I turning have... it around or something. These are like I actually I have come up with a list of like three filmmakers who I'd actually kind of like to see take it on. I have okay. no idea if their schedules would allow it or because they are like they are like I mean, they are like popular dudes. They are, they have got their yeah. own stuff cooking. So uh, but the first one on my list is uh, speaking of this is going to be like a chain connection. But like Ruben Fleischer directed Zombieland, which is written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. And my first suggestion for the role or for the director of Venom 2 is Tim Miller, uh, who obviously directed hmm. the first Deadpool, which is written yeah. by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. So uh, the reason why I think he would be a good fit is because Tim Miller, for starters, is a guy who can do a lot with a little and uh it seems like so these sony movies are uh, like these sony spider-man movies aren't like the biggest blockbusters in the world they're trying to keep it a little bit more self-contained and he can make a lot with a little bit of resources because his roots are as the founder of blur studios which is one like of the most like incredible visual effects agencies in the industry currently working. So uh, I think he would be a great choice. Uh, Another one is uh, Lee Whannell, who last year directed the movie Upgrade. Did you get to see that one? Uh, not yet because it's another one that kind of scares me. <laughs> it's it, it's not over. I will say like I, I I get where you're coming from, but it's actually a lot more of like an action movie than a horror movie. It it, okay. it definitely is like it has its intense moments, but it's definitely more action heavy. But again, like this is another filmmaker who who can make a lot out of a little, and his like the cinematography for the action in Upgrade is absolutely phenomenal. It's super super cool. If anyone out there uh, haven't seen this movie, I highly highly recommend it. Uh he is now working uh on the invisible man movie for blumhouse so 
he's again a guy that I don't know if he'll be available. Right. Uh, but the third name that I will pitch out there is uh, Christopher Landon, who is who's the director of the Happy Death Day movies, which oh, okay. uh, the first one I I, I, I I love both movies. The first one was a big hit. The last one was just released a few uh, weeks ago and unfortunately mm-hmm. didn't get the same kind of box office response for reasons like multiple reasons that we don't have time to get into. But uh, but the point is, though, is I think that Chris Landon as a writer director is a really talented guy. And he like he has just like Happy Death Day too. actually like gets into some weird like multiverse areas and kind of weird sci fi. And I'd be curious to see cool. what he could potentially do with uh, the material that Venom presents. All right. OK, See, this is why we have you here, Eric, because I have no clue. <laughs> I would have just been like, well, somebody else is going to direct it. We'll see how that turns out. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, right. No, unfortunately, I can't turn my brain off. It's why I get like four hours of sleep every night. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we can talk about that in a different podcast. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah. All right, everybody. It is time. As I said at the beginning of this episode, we have both seen Captain Marvel. It will be out by the time you can listen to this podcast. So. We are now going to give our reactions and reviews and talk about all the ins and outs. Eric, start yeah. off with, I'm pretty sure you said a few weeks ago after you first saw it that you loved it. So why don't you just start off again with a spoiler-free uh, reaction? <laughs> sure. Uh, I am a Captain big fan uh, of this film. Uh, like, I think that it does an interesting job in an age when we are, again, going back to what I was saying at the top of the show about Shazam, we are living in a world where, like, origin stories, like, do seem overly familiar. This one inverts that structure in a really interesting way. I think Mm -hmm. that as a character, uh, Carol Danvers is fantastic and really cool. And just like the growth that she experiences over the course of this film is really interesting and sets up some fantastic stuff for the future of the franchise. Uh, The relationship that she has with Nick Fury, it's like that perfect buddy cop dynamic that we all remember from the eighties and nineties. Well, maybe not those of you who were born after that but um you can still watch lethal weapon yeah you can now. still watch them exactly absolutely 100 percent, and that's and you should you should absolutely watch uh exactly. all of those movies now uh Turner they, and they hold up fantastically anyway uh <laughs> totally getting derailed by this uh but yeah Tur- turner and hooch is not what i would have gone to as the first example of that tango and cash but, tango guys there you go it's a better one uh but anyway but like but yeah i mean and like i mean but even just across the board like ben mendelson i think is actually one of the biggest surprises in this film like uh he is just like it's not anything that you expect and we will get obviously more into this and uh spoilers uh but you know it's like it it is a weird he like he's not a marvel villain that you expect he is a lot stranger and has kind of a weirder attitude than any one that we've seen before and uh yeah no i'm just a big fan how about you i have to say i enjoyed it i thought it was a lot of fun i did not like it as much as you did okay um i I think actually that ben mendelson's performance is part of the thing that i wasn't that crazy about oh no okay (laughs) Um, but it's a great like superhero debut for Brie Larson. I love what Samuel L. Jackson did with showing us a different version of Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of interesting twists and surprises, and we have been given some misdirects <laughs> for just basic information, really, uh-huh. um, that I when they revealed how stuff 
happened or what stuff was. I was completely, you know, taken aback. Um, and I need more Goose. Yes. I'm going to be very disappointed if Goose isn't in uh, Endgame. <laughs> for, for, what, for what it's worth, uh, I actually, I did bring up in my interview, I did ask, like, is there a future for Goose knowing that this movie is set in 1995 and cats don't always Well, last, he's not uh, a cat, though. We know exactly. that. Exactly. He is not a cat. That <laughs> he is could that. easily I mean, still be alive. And this isn't spoilers because, like, we've mentioned this many times before on the show and, like, anyone who reads the comics is familiar yeah. with this. But, yeah, and, like, and Kevin Feige, uh, like, replied in the affirmative. He said that, like, yeah, Goose is still out there. And more importantly, he is a character like any other character who exists as a potential, like, useful character kind of quote unquote tool for any filmmaker out there right. who has an interesting story to tell with that mm-hmm. character involved. So yes, yeah. no goose is goose is a star and an absolute scene stealer <laughs> for sure. Okay. Now let's just go ahead and get into full, full on spoilers people. So, so we're basically going to talk about every aspect of this movie. If you don't want to hear that, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen Captain Marvel yet, go ahead and bow out now and come back after you've seen it to hear our thoughts. Okay. Um, I we talked about all these twists and surprises in this movie, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know if the things that surprised me surprised you. So I'm just gonna like run down oh, some of yeah. the ideas, some of the things where I was like, "What are I can't? What? What are they doing?" <laughs> sure. Okay. No, in no particular order. First of all, Goose is not Carol's pet. We've been told yeah. for months that Goose is Carol's pet. He's not. He is actually the pet of one of the two characters, two characters, this is another surprise, played by Annette Benning. Mm-hmm. She plays the Cree uh, Supreme Intelligence, which is artificial intelligence. And you, um, basically it appears as whoever you hold, hold like in the highest esteem or whatever. That's- You admire most, yeah. Right, right. That's how it appears. So to Carol, she sees Annette Benning, who on earth- Another surprise was working with Carol, but she's not human. She nope. is Marvell. Right? Yep. Goose Go- Goose is the pet of Annette Benning's Marvell, mm-hmm. who is a Cree scientist um, on Earth working on a device that I think allows um, w- will allow travel. people to travel through space like instantaneously, basically. Because, okay, she switched sides. She's a Cree, but she's trying to help the Skrulls, who are not like <laughs> the main bad guys of this movie. We right. were told that they were the main bad guys, and they're not. They're no. not the, the main bad guys at all. So she switched sides and trying to help the Skrulls, because now they just want a home. They're tired of the war, and the, the Cree have, are, are constantly knocking them off of planets or whatever, so they just want a home. And this device she's working on, people, is powered by the Tesseract. Yeah, it is. <laughs> okay? The Tesseract. <laughs> and, and, Carol does not have her DNA spliced with Cree DNA. Oh, no. She gets blasted by the Tesseract <laughs> and the Space Stone. That's how she gets her powers. What are well- they doing? <laughs> I, I, it is a lot uh and i will agree and that's that, like, not even it <laughs> oh yeah no there's like I, honestly like one of the things that i actually really appreciate about this as just an origin story and like it's something that i have a problem with in a lot of origin stories which is that like as a comic book fan 
I know them. You like, know I it. know. Like, and they flip the script on everything we know from the comics. Absolutely, and like, and it's and it starts with uh, like Marvel, uh, as you mentioned, is like introduced as Doctor Wendy Lawson, which is yeah. uh, a, a play on Doctor Walter Lawson, which is the character that Mar- Marvel pre- pre- presents or pretends to be uh, in the comics from the 1960s, which is a twist that again I did not see coming. I love that reveal. Ultimately, like, when I when I look back at it, I'm like, how did I not see like the hair is like perfect like it's exactly like it was like this and there's like silver locks and i'm like yes that is such obviously it uh so i absolutely love that twist these scrolls though uh, as you pointed out blew my mind uh because like you you were sold on this movie uh that the scrolls were the villain and they they were going to be the antagonist they never Uh, made they 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 didn't hint about other possibilities they didn't make any bones about it they just came right out and said scrolls are the villains but that thing is like that's from a movie perspective that's surprising. Like from a comic book perspective, that's surprising because the scrolls in the comics don't know. They are not good. They are bad. Yeah. They are invaders. They are like right. a virus that spreads across societies. They are really really horrible. So like and like this, I actually uh, I'll have a piece on Cinema Blend uh, within a at least a couple days within uh, the time that you are listening to this podcast probably or at least when it's airing. Uh, I actually did talk with Kevin Feige about the scrolls and uh, that whole big reveal. It was actually the first thing I asked him because as soon as I got in that room, there was nothing else like. I, I, I needed to that was understand the, main thing on your the mind. role of yeah. scrolls in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he explained that, like, the scrolls that we see here, led by Talos, uh, again, played by Ben Mendelsohn, uh, they represent a sect of scrolls that okay. are good. They just, they are, they do it like, they are, like, they don't want to be a part of this war anymore, which has mm-hmm. been lasting for centuries on end. They just yeah. want to find a new home planet and settle. And the Kree are obviously making that truly, truly impossible. However... Uh, it's all he Kevin Feige also very openly said that just this is basically just like any conflict in the history of the world, which is to say that, like, yes, there are uh some scrolls out there who do have positive morals and do just want to see an end to the war, but there are also plenty of other scrolls who don't feel that way and instead are just totally all for. Kree abomination, like uh, like the elimination of the Kree. Yeah. And uh, so like it is kind of just adding a level of complexity to it that doesn't hasn't really existed before. It's interesting that like it completely obliterates the whole secret invasion concept, which yeah. I believe we talked about it before, which is uh, the Marvel Comics event where the Skrulls kind of invaded Earth and you didn't yeah. know who was who. And so, yeah, I absolutely love that about the film. Yeah, I did too. And um basically what what we end up with is Jan Rog and the Star Carol Starforce team are evil are evil quote unquote basically because uh-huh. they're trying to wipe out these scrolls who just want another home yep. but i have to say with when you have a war that's been going on for centuries it would be very hard for one side to say oh no this side this particular group of the other side is okay Exactly. That that would be a very difficult thing. And you would want to just wipe them all out whenever you see them. And this is all, I mean, we're also talking about soldiers. These are people who are trained like specifically and like psychologically, not only like physically, but psychologically to see the scrolls as the enemy. And as, as I was said, like, the Skrull Kree War, it's not even like the like any war that we've ever seen uh here on Earth where like it can be like a decades long conflict or like maybe like I, I, are there any like centuries long conflicts? I mean probably. Uh but like we're talking about like 
hundreds and hundreds of years that the Kree and the Skrull have been at war. And like, that's going to in, in like change people's philosophy. And even at the beginning of the movie, when you, when like she's look, when uh, Carol uh, is looking out over Hala, the Kree homeworld, you yeah. see like X number. I don't remember. It was like X number of days since the, since last, the last Skrull attack. attack. Yeah. And so like, this is a society that's at high alert and like, ha- there's a certain level of propaganda that's going on in the society that's saying like, Skrulls are evil. If you see a Skrull, kill it. And I love that the MCU version is bringing a certain level of complexity to it that really mm-hmm. just never, ever, ever, ever existed before. Yeah. All right. I have got to talk about Nick Fury because yes. his eye guys, <laughs> we thought there was going to be some big freaking battle. We thought it was going to be like a scroll impersonating one of his friends uh-huh. who takes out his eye. It was goose. Okay? It was goose. Yeah. Goose <laughs> scratches his eye and that's it. It's over. It's not it's even over. like a scratch that goes into the socket. But this flurkin is so dangerous when not handled correctly that just the merest scratch and it just eliminates a body part for you. And I, I, I love Ben Mendelsohn's reaction in that one too. Yeah. It's like after the scratch, now that was like good. he just said, ah, I'll be fine. And Ben was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah uh, and, and he's, and he's like, terrified. I, he's terrified of the flurkin the entire time. Exactly. And that, it's, that, that whole bit is, I mean, that one is actually uh, ending back to what I was saying about earlier about uh, Carol Danvers uh, and Rocket Raccoon. Uh, it's actually in the comics. It's actually Rocket who is the one who tells Carol about the fact that uh, Goose, who in the comics is named Chewie, is a flurkin. Like yeah. he's actually. So it's like it's funny that they kind of borrow that that uh, dynamic and that reaction for the film. But it's fantastic i absolutely loved it and uh yeah like i like and i I also just like i mean because like you were saying like part of the reason why we had all those big expectations from nick fury losing his eye is because there's that big line uh i think it's in winter soldier yes it's in winter soldier where he's talking about how the last time he trusted somebody he lost his he lost an eye yeah and it turns out that was uh somebody is is a fork and it looks like and that that trusting yeah like and that that act of trust was like cuddling with him while uh sitting in a, like sitting in a cockpit like yeah I, I i i think it's fantastic i love the fact that like at the end you have colson come in and like spread kind of the rumor that it was actually a uh from a cree enforcer like during a torture session mm-hmm. uh so yeah it's uh altogether fantastic and actually yeah. I, like i actually want to take it back uh just in mentioning goose uh and i do also just want to talk about the tesseract too because yeah uh that surprised the hell out of me also like obviously the tesseract has been a huge uh like piece of the marvel cinematic universe pretty much since the beginning since the beginning was, we, yeah we, we saw it uh first in the post credit scene of uh the first thor in 2011 uh and but at the same time like between howard stark picking it up off the ocean floor at the end of captain america the first avenger to that scene where nick fury uh shows it to eric selvig and asks if there's something that can be done with it we really had no idea what was happening with it as it turns out uh first yeah. like dr lawson used it as an attempt to to like put like to create a light speed engine then mm-hmm. she stored it away in her satellite lo- lo- lab yep. that's orbiting uh space then uh Goose, Goose. as a flurkin, like took it in its tentacles and ate it, and yeah. then uh, happened to like as we revealed in the end credit scene, uh, plops it back on uh, Nick Fury's desk. Uh, yeah, 
similar hairball style. So yeah. uh, I, I I love that. I like it. it it's it is. It, it, I will say, like you were mentioning earlier, that uh, Carol's powers seem to come from uh, the Tesseract. I do wonder if, like, she because she did get a blood transfusion after she arrived. So I wonder. I do think that there is kind of a combination of those two okay. things. Like she has certain energy levels. In fact, like like kind of the big reveal at the end where she has that like when like she has that dampener chip uh, and she takes what's it revealed off. to be a dampener yeah. chip and she removes it. Uh, it does kind of seem like actually the energy Tesseract powers are tied more into her human half while she also has like the longevity and strength, natural strength of a Kree warrior. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I think adding in the Tesseract to the whole business is a fantastic move and was a huge, huge surprise. And OK, so Samuel L. Jackson came out recently and admitted that all that time travel stuff he was saying, <laughs> he was Which saying I, about I totally Captain Marvel spo- yeah. was crap. I totally okay? called that. That he was just, yeah. he was just messing with people. But because she is largely powered by the space stone, which allows users to travel throughout the universe, like instantaneously, uh-huh. that's sort of like time travel. Ooh, that's an interesting thought. I didn't even think about that. I mean, we don't see her do that in the movie, but by the time we see her again in Endgame, she could have mastered that power. That's an interesting thought. And hell, it might actually, I mean, it might be, because I was thinking, like, I was actually having this conversation uh, with a friend recently about the idea that, like, after she got the signal from uh, Nick Fury's pager, like, she's, I I assumed during that conversation that it was going to take her a minute to go get back from wherever she was to Earth, uh, just to respond but that's an interesting thought i never thought about her tapping into the full potential of uh the space stone in that way uh yeah. i don't know and, and it, that's totally on the table like like you said we don't know for sure but that's an interesting theory and i kind of like it yay uh, at the same time <laughs> i will say like i totally called that samuel jackson being full yeah. of crap thing like I, it, it's it, like something about it just rang to me like that michael shannon uh like zod bit when he was talking about his body and like batman v superman just something just didn't ever seem right. And mm-hmm. uh, it turns out that he was just trying to mess with us. And I, like, I, like we've, we've talked about in recent, like, especially when uh, the Avengers Endgame trailer uh, or right. the Endgame title was revealed that lying to us, it doesn't ever feel great. But I feel like this kind of lie is a, a little bit harmless and just that like, it's more funny than anything that he's kind of exaggerating these details. And it doesn't right. ultimately have an effect on the way that we look or, or appreciate the material. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like that was a little, that was a weird one for him to toss out. Yeah. Why don't we go ahead and talk about the end credits and then we can double back if we want to talk about other stuff. Because sure. the first end credit scene shows the living Avengers. They, they've gotten Nick Fury's pager. How? And I we think, don't it, and know. I'm pretty sure it's a scene from uh, Avengers Endgame too, for what that's worth. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, so they're in that room that we see them in in the, the Endgame trailer, where they're they're looking at all the people who are gone now, and they have his pager, and they've activated it somehow so that it will keep sending that signal, even though they don't know who it's going to. They figure if Nick was trying to get in touch with them, it must be important, and they probably need that person's help. And, of course, they have no idea who it is. Um, and so they're just kind of looking, staring, staring at the pager um, yep. because it had stopped. It had stopped sending the signal. And so they're all staring at it, you know, trying to decide if they should get it started again because they, you know, they probably need that person. And then they turn around, and Carol is there. Bam. 
Yep. <laughs> Just there. Yeah. So the signal stopped because she was there. Yep. Um, and where's Fury? And where's that's what she says. Where's Fury? Yep. And there's, that's the end of that particular scene. Um, yep. Lots of questions, though. Are they still in Africa? That's an interesting question. I actually, I kind of assumed that they were in like Avengers headquarters in New York. Yeah. Uh, but because, okay, here's the thing. Yeah. I also, Maybe. just no matter where they are, how did they get the pager? Isn't S.H.I.E.L.D. still like not really a thing? Uh, it's possible that they were able to like just track, like like they were tracking like energy, like or like radio signals off of Earth and they found right. something that's crazy powerful. I, okay. Like I'm doing, I'm, this is called Marvel No Prizing, which, okay. which is to say like uh, taking a situation that maybe doesn't make a ton of sense, but just trying to like logic it away using yeah. just random information. Uh, so it's possible that like they were just like, like it was a powerful enough signal that it was sending out that they were able to find it. It's okay. possible that like they were specifically looking for Nick Fury uh, when the whole thing was going after the, everything went down and like yeah. it is his car that is uh, right there. So, uh, you know, maybe they were just like they found his car and they found the page right next to it. So mm-hmm. I think okay. there are possibilities there. Uh, I am I am going to be I, I, like I am very curious to see what that that relationship is going to be, because I don't think Carol is going to know any anything about the Avengers and I especially don't think that the Avengers are going to know anything about Carol. Right. Uh, despite the fact. And what has she seen? Yeah. Has she, wherever she was, did, you know, a bunch of people disappear? Does she, uh-huh. you know, is she aware that something is going on? Something big is going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, presumably like wherever she was, like yeah, she you saw like half of the people that she knows disappear. Though actually that like, again, this is another conversation that I have with a friend. It is worth noting that it is potent- it is possible just given the randomness of everything that yeah. and in, like one planet, an entire population was spared, but then there was another planet that was completely decimated, gone. Just completely yeah. gone. So, uh, yeah, because like, we saw yeah. that it, you know, it, it wasn't even, you know, right. if you were with two people, it didn't mean that one of them disappeared and the other one didn't. All of you could have disappeared. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, so like we can't that in mind, we can't say for certain that Carol has necessarily seen anybody get dusted, but she probably has if we're right. like being real. But at the same time, like it is interesting to think that like, yes, she left at the end of Captain Marvel to go like help start up a new Skrull civilization. But at the same time, like... Did that take 25 years? Like, what else has she, what else has been, she been up doing? to? Like, yeah. is it has possible she been, that she was... Just in general, yeah. has she been trying to stop that war? Is, this, uh-huh. is that war still going on? Because I tell yeah. you what, when she showed up, she looked pissed. Yeah. No, she looked angry. That's another yeah. thing. Like, she definitely did not look like a happy camper. And that, that's interesting. And, like, and I don't think... And, and her hair was messed up. Her hair's <laughs> a lot different. I did notice that, too. Um, But, like, and it's got to be interesting because, like, if Nick Fury was there, he would obviously be a great mediator for this group. And, like, she, he, they'd be right. able to explain... Like, hell, he'd be able to explain that he, they're called the Avengers because she was Carol Avenger Danvers. That was her call signal in the Air Force. That was another so, surprise. I love that. That was another yeah. detail that I like absolutely fell in love with. Uh, but like, but Nick Fury isn't around to like explain all of this stuff. And like, Anything. I'm curious, yeah. even just from an exposition point of view, how they're going to handle everything uh, in Avengers Endgame and like how you're going to have the Avengers explain what's been going on in the last 25 years and then have Carol Danvers explain everything that's going on with the Kree Skull War and like all this other stuff, which by the way, yeah, they, they know nothing about. So right. 
Yeah, uh, that's going to be interesting. And like it's it's like where that scene cuts off is like exactly where I didn't want that scene to cut off. I really just I'm excited to see a lot more of that. So, yeah. All right. Let's get into the performances a little bit. Like I said, I was not crazy with what Ben Mendelsohn did with Uh Talos. I felt like it was. A little too, I don't even know what the right word for it. Now, it's, I definitely appreciate the fact that, like you said, he's very different from any villain we've ever seen. Of course, he's not really a villain, um, uh-huh. but he's, I don't, I don't know how to describe. He's just so sort of flip, flippant and uh, sounds like maybe too much like he's spent <laughs> a bunch of time on Earth, which I don't uh-huh. think he really has. So uh, maybe he's just trying to speak in a way that he's a, I mean, Earth he is a natural, un- ada- he, he's a natural adapter. That's what I, he I does. Guess so, you yeah. know? I mean, if you want to uh, like, but I don't know, like I, I like, I, like I said, the, everything about the scrolls just like really surprised the hell out of me throughout yeah. this entire film. Like nothing about them was at all what I expected. And that very much included uh, the, the, the charisma of Talos and just like, cause he threw, he like throws everything away like that. This like, he doesn't really, it's, it's very flippant. He is like, it yeah. very like, but at the same time, like he does and like, I don't know. It is such a weird contrast just because like you go into the movie expecting him to be like this, like scary, arch, or this arch guy. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, he's not. And frankly, you, you first get a taste of it when he's like sorting through Carol's memories at the, at the beginning after like she's been captured, which yeah, like, and, and he's and doing another, that like voiceover another narration. Another scroll like taps on her head and something uh-huh. pops up that he thinks he can use. And he goes that, do that again. Exactly. It's just and like, it, very natural and not at all scary. And just like, Oh, we're, we're a team. We're exploring. You're not in right. trouble if you can't get that to happen again. <laughs> it's, I just think it's it's such a weird little thing, and like I I just have I just think I just like it's very different than anything uh, that we've seen, and also like it also just kind of just upends our entire expectation for antagonist because he is like. Yes, he doesn't end up being a villain in the film, but like for the first half of the story, he is presented that way and he seems right. like this guy. Like if they had gone in the direction where it's just like the scrolls have come to Earth because they want to take over and like we've seen that plot. We've seen that plot so many times. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the inverse of that and I, I just like I have a heavy appreciation for that and just the way that uh Talos like acts within it. So Yeah. yeah. What did you think of the action scenes? Cuz there's a lot of action, it's a lot I think overall, all of the action is fun, but I have to say some of the special effects, especially when Carol's um, like all powered up and flying out in space or whatever, some of it looked kind of cartoony to me. I, I see what you mean. And frankly, like just from a stylistic point of view, like I liked the 90s. There are like certain 90s aesthetic elements of it that I very much appreciate. Mm-hmm. In fact, like and actually I, I love the music really detail, but the mu- the soundtrack is fantastic. Yeah. And I love that. Just like I mean, and it just like that just a girl sequence, for example, I think is actually a uh, with no doubt in the action in the, uh, yeah. in the fighting in the laboratory. Yeah, uh, that that's a that's a fantastic action sequence. It's not overly dependent on visual effects, which I think uh, right. kind of moves away uh, from what you were saying. But um but like I will say that like outside of those aesthetics, I do wish there was just kind of a more stylistic push uh, from a especially from a cine- cinematography point of view. Mm-hmm. Like uh, from what I was understanding, uh, like from what I heard uh, from interviews with the re- directors Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck, a lot of what they said that they were inspired by were like '90s action movies, like uh, like Independence Day or Speed or anything like that. And like 
I didn't necessarily like. I mean, I there was you didn't I guess really the, see that as much as you wanted to. Exactly, and like this, this, the closest I think we got was like the subway se- the subway yeah, chase yeah, uh, yeah. in Los Angeles, which like say. has elements of it, but at the same time, it's not like totally uh, like just really sh- like shoving it down your throat and like being very obvious with its style. Uh, that being said, I do also just want to say about the visual effects. Like I do get what you mean uh, from the, like the space stuff. I, I, I thought it worked enough to work, I guess is how I would put it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it didn't ruin far- the movie or anything. Exactly. But the visual effects, the true standout and frankly, a game changer in every single way is uh, the de-aging uh, technology that was used for both Samuel Jackson and Clark Gregg playing, uh, reprising his role as agent. Phil See, Coulson. I didn't, Thing. I thought I thought Nick Fury looked perfect pretty much every time, and Coulson uh-huh. not so much. Col- I mean, Coulson was less so, and I think it's more just like it's weird to say, but I think it's just because we see him with hair, which is kind of a different experience. Um, but like, but yeah, but but okay. like, I mean, but they put they clearly put a lot of money towards de-aging oh, yeah. Samuel Jackson, and yeah. honestly. From the moment that he appears on screen, and which is when, like, we the moment you see in the trailer. I mean, well, this is a spoiler chat, but like, uh, like the moment that he appears on screen, knocking on that telephone booth, like, it's perfect. I never, for a second, question that, like, oh, yeah. that's Samuel, that's de aging technology. It looks utterly flawless, and it just gets me hyper excited for like any period storytelling that they want to do in right. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Going yeah, because they can do anything now. Absolutely. Okay. Go see Captain Marvel. I don't know why you wouldn't. <laughs> It's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> okay, Eric, what do you have coming up? Uh, the, one of the most exciting things that I have coming up is this weekend I will be covering the Junket for Dumbo, which is the new oh. uh, Disney movie directed by Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to be sitting down with not only Tim Burton, but also Mr. Danny Elfman, which I am tremendously, tremendously oh. excited for. And cool. so uh, you can look forward to that coverage uh, all coming up on uh Cinema Blend uh, within the next couple of weeks. I also have a certain event that I'm going to next week that mm-hmm. uh, is related to the that subject you're of this tap show. Dancing around because I you can't, can't talk, talk about, about it, it at all. Really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, you'll, I'll circle back to this in about a year. Basically. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. That's it for us this time, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the Hero, Hero Blend podcast on iTunes. Make sure you drop us a review. You can also contact us on Twitter at HeroBland. Ask us questions, give comments, just tell us your general life, you know, quandaries, (laughs) and we'll see if we can help you. Um, That's all for us this week. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next time. (laughs) 